Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Welcome to the Kudzu Vine, February 25th, 2018. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, good to have you all on. I'm going to have an exciting guest here in about 20 minutes. We've had Mike on before, but Mike Mickus of Pennsylvania is going to come on here in a little bit, and that's a really um, exciting expert of a state to talk to, given the court case recently in Pennsylvania. They have a special election, and also uh, Mike made a little national news, I guess, as well, so we have plenty to discuss with him in just a little bit, but um, kind of before uh, that, we're going to kind of, our lead topic is going to be something we touched on with what a donor said, and it kind of you know, we had the sense is like, you know, is this time different? No other time do we have a you know, national tragedy involving guns. Does it ever seem to be different? But I'm getting the sense maybe it is. Some of the poll numbers look different. Um, some of the reactions, some of people, the things that people are doing seem different. Um, Catherine, in the past 11 days, um, what is it about this time that, or does it feel different to you? It does feel different. I think it's because we have these very brave, courageous, and bold teenagers who are really speaking out and, you know, taking, uh, you know, very courageous stands against um, gun violence. And, you know, they've been raised in this, uh, you know, social media environment, and they seem, you know, ready for prime time. They know how to handle themselves behind a microphone. They seem to know how to, you know, get attention. And um, they're very, most of the ones I've seen are very eloquent. And it seems to be having an impact. You know, we've seen um, corporations deny or change their rules on um, NRA discounts. A whole list of them came out today. Um Oh, you know, the donor we talked about last week who, uh, you know, said he wasn't going to donate unless we did something about guns. Uh, we had, I think there's been $2 million raised by just four important celebrities for this march uh, on Mar- this, you know, march or protest on March 24th. So I think things are changing. I think finally the the kids are speaking out and everybody seems to be not everybody but a lot of people seem to be listening to them so i feel it's different let's hope it holds yes tim um las vegas that was several months back in some ways that seems scarier because i mean it was somebody shooting on a crowd of thousands that were just completely defenseless somebody at the high ground and one would think because of the nature of that i mean it was pretty obvious even if you you know, loved guns and you, you know, knew how to shoot a gun, you'd still understand 
that someone from that range, uh, somebody else with a gun in the crowd, could have done absolutely zero about that. So the whole, oh, a gun will stop a gun argument wasn't very good in Las Vegas, so you kind of had the sense that something might change, but it didn't. Why is this um, time different, even though the Las Vegas tragedy seemed um, preventable, if you will? Honestly, David, I don't think we know yet that it is different, even though we want to think there's a different feel. Um, In the 14 years since the end of the um, assault weapons ban, there's been 14 shootings in this country with at least 10 or more people uh, shot. And so... uh, each and every time you think, well, this is gonna, this is gonna change it. We thought that with Vegas. We thought that with the Pulse nightclub shooting. We thought that uh, with the shootings at the schools in Connecticut, at Sandy Hook, uh, and, and now, now we say it again that young people are getting motivated. Uh, one thing I want to look at is. Uh, in the immediate aftermath of this shooting, they are mobilized, they are marching, they are calling their elected officials, they are facing down the NRA. They're, they're doing all of these things that we hope an outraged public would be doing. What I want to see is what's going on three or four weeks from now. If they are still doing this, if they don't let this go, if they keep the pressure up, then there will have to be uh, some sort of response or, or something happened a, a, as a result. But I want to uh, see that because, believe it or not, uh, recent polls have shown that millennials really are not that different uh, on the gun issue from those over the age of 30. But let's just hope this lit a spark and, and, and that we will finally see uh, uh a genuine dialogue and some genuine action uh, on guns in this country. Yeah, it's cultural backgrounds much more than age on body's feelings. Um, the town hall input on uh, where Marco Rubio came, and he does deserve credit for coming. Unlike Tim, you pointed out, uh, Rick Scott, the governor didn't, um, and then Bill Nelson was there. And Marco Rubio really, I mean, he was the human pinata in that thing because he still, I guess, he knows if he wants to survive a Republican primary, he has to, you know, tote this line on guns. Now, some people might begin to say, what's that worth to you at some point um, when you have to defend the indefensible positions? But, I mean, it was so rough and so stark how people in Florida that they had at the – CNN Town Hall were on Marco Rubio. Catherine, I believe you said you watched the whole thing. You didn't just see the clips. Uh, What were your thoughts on the Town Hall? Well, Marco Rubio was dancing as fast as he could to try to, you know, come out looking good, and he did not do a good job of it. Um, They were asking him very pointed questions, and he was just not answering them in a in the in a fashion that was acceptable to the crowd. Um, I will, will say that um, I guess I, I will 
you know, commend him for showing up. But that's about all I can commend him for. Um, Ted Deutsch, I think is the way his name is pronounced, a congressman from Florida, he was really good. He was very strident in his opposition to assault weapons. He kept saying, we just need to get the assault weapons off the the, um, streets. And then this uh, representative, what's her name, Dana or something from the NRA came out, and she was just horrible and sort of dismissive and, you know, sort of, uh, I know better than you. You don't know what you're talking about, you kids. And, you know, that didn't go over very well. But it was very moving. There were, you know, uh, students who'd lost friends, teachers who'd lost students, parents who'd lost children, um, speaking very emotionally and um eloquently about the situation and I thought it was really well well done um uh Jake Tapper uh a few times his face gave away a little <laughs> a little bit more than he probably wanted it to but uh, I thought I thought it was really interesting and I'm glad I watched it though I could have done without Dana from the NRA yeah, I saw some comments Dana made. She uh, blamed the media at one point. I mean, yeah. it seemed like, uh, yeah, the media I don't think can be the scapegoat for shootings or uh, gun violence, and I think that rang very hollow. Um, Tim, in general, um, how's the NRA's response or, or backpedaling and what they've been taking on, uh, how's that struck you? Because this does seem like the NRA is in much more of a defensive position than they normally are. They are, but still they cling to the hope, I believe, uh, that things will die down as the days move along. That's why a lot of us are very interested in seeing what this thing looks like two or three weeks from today because if it uh, is still going on two or three weeks from today, then Generation Z uh, is is uh, is doing a good job. The, these teenagers will be uh, to be commended uh, if, if they hold the line. They'll do something that no other groups of adults have done to this point, which is keep the pressure on. We protested, and then two or three weeks later, we we were moved on to something else. I would like to see what happens. We got students right now in states all over the country um, walking out of their classrooms, uh, staging marches, and uh, maybe, maybe these kids are letting us know they're not playing around with this thing. Yeah, um, CNN just came up with a poll, and there were some top-line political numbers that are interesting, too, that we might get to later. But uh, it showed 7 in 10 favor tighter gun laws, um, and I think that was 52% in the October poll. That was not too long after the Las Vegas shooting. That's an 18-point swing. 27 um, opposed those laws. I believe it was – I'm looking for the number. I want to say 44 opposed those laws before – that's a pretty dramatic because sometimes you have it out loud all the work numbers like this move 
Okay, David, we can't hear you at all. We can't hear you. Yeah, you're. you're I'm sorry, sorry. Well, I'm talking about the poll. I I don't know if my hand moved or my reception got bad, but that CNN poll, Catherine, what is your take on it? Well, you know, I think I think Tim makes a good point. You know, it's only been what not even two weeks since the shooting, so. It's uppermost in people's minds, so we. I'd be interested to see what a poll says two weeks from now, and what kind of activity we see two weeks from now. I think that's a really good point. Like, is everybody gonna, you know, move on? And you know, I mean, and the other thing about that is, what will happen? What what kind of madness will our president come up with to distract everyone from this? So, um, I think it'll be. I mean, I think it's interesting, and I and I'm. Um, happy about it. The thing is, is that these, you know, sort of general polls about do do you favor stronger gun control, what does that mean? You know, does that mean eliminate, you know, eliminate access to assault guns, or does it mean this sort of ludicrous idea of changing the ownership age from 18 to 21, which I think is kind of eyewash to the whole thing? Um, or does it mean, you know, what, what does it mean? Because there's a lot of things that Gun control and and gun changing gun laws. There's a lot of possibilities. So you can say, oh yeah, I'm in favor of, you know, more gun control or more, you know, limits on access to guns. But when the, then when it comes right down to what they vote for, then what do the polls say? Do you know what I mean? It's like I'm just well, the I'm just anxious. Will there be legislation? Yeah, but what will that legislation look like? What does it mean? That's what, what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. What is it? You'll have specifics then. Yeah, I will talk about proposals, and you talk about what nonsense Donald Trump will come up with. Um, I believe Rush Limbaugh, um, Newt Gingrich, and Donald Trump all kind of hit on one of the same solutions, and that would be arming X number of teachers uh, down each hall and different things um, is a, is a way to combat this and. Um, obviously, I don't. I don't think a lot of folks understand how these situations work. Where um, not everybody's, you know, Rambo off of a movie. Um, people are just not gonna um, be able to react in the way that I think people have seen on different um, action movies, and when they come up with these ideas. Uh, Tim, why yeah, are we the really right asking? Are we, this? are we asking? Are we asking our teachers to stu- to shoot their students? I mean, that's essentially what we're asking in some cases, and I don't still think that's a legitimate, you know, suggestion, right? Yeah, but that's, that's the right's number one suggestion, seemingly, um, that they've come up with. I mean, you know, Limbaugh, Gingrich, and, and Donald Trump all uh, mentioned that. Tim, uh, why have they latched on to that? Uh, they're, they're just trying to, uh, I, I think Limbaugh and that bunch are trying to fluff this thing over and run the clock out. I, I was sitting here looking at a, at a rather extensive CBS polls come out in the last couple of days, uh, on, on guns. Uh, the public worries me a little bit here. Here's one that says 44% of those polled, uh, agree that we should arm teachers. Now, in that group, 68% of of the Republican respondents said we should arm teachers. Now, in the 50% that oppose, 74% of those are, are Democrats. 
Uh, so we we don't think they should arm teachers, but two thirds of Republicans think that's exactly what they should do. So that's going to be a popular talking point uh, for Donald Trump. Uh, on the other hand, something I think would just definitely work: fifty three percent of the American people are for an outright ban on the AR fifteen. Well, amen to that. That's something. These combat weapons need to be off the street. We should reinstate that assault weapons ban. That's something that would work. Age restrictions, I'm dubious on that, as Catherine is. I, I, I think that's just a little something to throw out there that won't make much difference. Um, most people here, here to show you how cynical people are, those guys. Only 31% of these respondents think that Congress will do something, and 68% don't believe they'll do anything. I find myself drifting into that group. Yeah. Uh, I, I would just have, have to see it. And there's a split decision somewhat on the NRA, too. 44, 46% of respondents think they have too much influence with Congress Thirty-two percent say it's just right, and there's actually fifteen percent that don't think they have enough influence. I don't know what planet they've been on, but uh, um, that—that's just some of the things that this poll. Oh, and another thing: a, a not right majority, nearly sixty percent, favor a ban on on bump stocks, which I I would also be all for. That's that's one thing Trump was right about. I got to give him that. So. Um, yeah, that's what the polling is showing. I love the uh, just right as, a, as an answer. Oh, that always sounds like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Um, but not right. enough? Uh, the NRA? What, where no. do they get that? That the NRA does uh, not have enough influence with Congress. Uh, I mean, that that's just totally denying reality. Well, they don't have influence over Democrats. They have influence over Republicans. Maybe that's and Tim, I think you well, said something. Well, that's who runs the thing. <laughs> so, oh, gosh. The divide between the two parties. It's almost like somebody said we have an outdoors problem, and one party says there's not enough daylight, and the other party says there's too much daylight. It's like you can't come to any kind of solution because both sides are so divided on you know what the problem is. Um, and I did see a thing saying, is the good argument the argument to break because it's a cultural thing more than it is a political thing? Um, Kath, you saw that piece, and, you know, could it break America, the gun debate? But is this such a, a deep, divided cultural thing that there's going to be no solution? It's going to be either one side gets their way or the other, and there's no compromise. Well, that's where I think these kids come in. I think it's um, – I think they have um, – you know, they're not partisan. They're talking to the Democrats. Or, you know, they went after Bill Nelson on some things too. So um, I think that if we listen to if, – if people are listening to them, I think that that's the um, sort of sweet spot where there might be some, some ability to find some um, – I, I don't know if we – some solutions. I don't know if it's really compromised, but um, I think that that's the because they don't vote most of them. So, but 
I mean, I think it's it's hard. You know, the gun thing is very hard. Yeah, Tim, that piece, that same piece, you know, can the gun argument be what breaks America? Is there any, um, you know, resolution on this? And, you know, we say that this happened in Florida, probably more cosmopolitan area, part of Florida. What if this would have happened in rural Kentucky? Would we see the same response for the students or the culture of the area prevail? Well, we certainly wouldn't have seen the same response from the students. And we might not have seen the same response from the students if the shooting had occurred um, in another area of of, of of that same city. I mean, uh, as a very um, well-thought-of school there with a good academic record, uh, a place that you say, you know what, there's no way this happens here, uh, and it does. Uh, that should show people that it can touch everywhere. The thing about rural America, we, we, we've had uh, church shootings, I mean, in rural places uh, lately. That should show everybody that it can happen anywhere. People should understand that we are all connected on this issue. It can touch everywhere in America. It, it can. It, it really can. There, There is... There is no perfectly safe place uh, in in America from from <laughs> gun violence, um, and and you know we we are going to have to get down to it, guys. That there is going to have to be a dialogue. But if that dialogue about gun violence doesn't include guns, then can we solve this? I really don't think we can. It has to include some of the guns. It has to include these assault weapons. It, it just it just has to, or I'm going to say there there is going to be no way to sit down and figure anything out. Yeah, I, I know. Um, it, it's just this argument, but um, one that you know really needs to be solved. Um, I am y'all got. Kind of uh, one thing that actually was shown out was Chipper Jones, uh, a baseball player from Atlanta that's known for hunting. He said that uh, he thought weapons should be banned. Um, Catherine, does celebrities and, and entertainers, anything like that, can they help in this? Well, I think they can. Um, I mean, I think it was it's certainly helpful that, you know, what it was it. George Damal Clooney, Oprah Winfrey, the Katzenbergs, and Gucci all gave $500,000 to this group that's organizing this march. That's $2 million. I think that is very helpful. Um, I think, you know, people speaking out if they're eloquent and if if what they're saying can cross lines, I think that's helpful. I mean, I think it's helpful. I don't. I'm not a big fan of Chipper Jones, but and I didn't know that he had said that. But I think if people who are hunters and and use guns, if they come out and say, "Well, there's no need for assault weapons," I heard. So I don't know who said it, but somebody said, "If you need to shoot more than four times, if you're a hunter and you need to shoot something more than four times, then you shouldn't be a hunter." You know. <laughs> I don't know who said that. I do that, think but. that um, Chipper Jones. 
the, the fact that he's a hunter is probably more important to what he said than the fact that he plays baseball or played baseball. Well, now we're going to segue on to something totally different and welcome back our political from Pennsylvania, Mike Mickus. Welcome back to the show, Mike. Hey, David. How are you? Oh, good to have you on. Um, well, first thing, I, you know, Pennsylvania's made so much news, and they're going to make more news with the special election, the court case, uh, the new maps. But you made news that I guess was more national. Uh, just a few days ago, you were the political quote of the day on Political Wire. Um, I think it was National Journal that interviewed you, and I'll read the quote out. It said, Democrats have to realize that Republicans can run conservative candidates everywhere or can't run them everywhere um, and get 218 seats. Democrats can't run liberals everywhere and get the majority. So, you know, Republicans, I guess, have an easier map in some of these swing states is what you're trying to say. Um, got a lot of – it solicited a lot of comments, like 307. Some people liking what you said, some not. I think most of the commenters are Democrats. Um, kind of tell the folks what you were getting uh, at. Sure. Well, look, I think, um, first off, you know, Democrats can't get to 218 seats if they run liberals in every district. And, and the reason behind that is you have a lot of areas. You know, like I, I live in western Pennsylvania. You know, outside of the city of Pittsburgh, you know, it's pretty conservative. And they'll vote for Democrats in southwestern Pennsylvania, but they're, they're very pro-Second Amendment. They're very much you know, very conservative on social issues like abortion. And, you know, if a moderate runs, a moderate Democrat can be very competitive. And you see that happening right now with the special election here. It was a district that Donald Trump won by 20 points. And, uh, you know, all the polling out there has uh, Connor Lamb, the Democrat, within three points of uh, Rick Saccone, the Republican. So my point was, you know, if, if somebody wants a progressive agenda in Congress, they're going to have to support moderate Democrats in certain places so that they can get a majority. And, and in the House of Representatives, it's the Speaker of the House that sets the agenda. And if the Democrats have a speaker, that speaker is going to set the agenda. Yeah, so they're kind of voting on who's the speaker, who's the committee chairs. That's the ultimate goal. Um, well, yes. you kind of alluded to that special election. I'll save that in case Catherine and Tim want to ask about that. And then I know we've got a lot of districts we can talk about because everything's changed in your state. So I'm going to go ahead and pass it to Catherine for questions. Catherine? Hey, Mike. Thanks for being on tonight. We really appreciate it. Um, thanks for having I me. Wanna, I want to delve into your, your um, comments a little bit. So are you basically saying we need to elect these moderate Republicans, but – Sort of with a wink that um, we're gonna probably we're gonna if we if we take back the house we're gonna elect a more progressive leader. So even though they ran maybe on more conservative um, values in their districts, we're probably not gonna get to um, legislate on those. Um, look, uh, no, I, I think it's it's a little more complicated than that. Um, you know, the, the thing is, you know, there just aren't 218 congressional districts across America where a like a, a very liberal candidate can run. And, and when I'm talking about a moderate candidate, it, it could vary what actually is a moderate in different areas. For instance, 
in southwestern Pennsylvania, you know, you may need somebody who, you know, may be a little more conservative on some social issues, but they can be very supportive of the Democratic economic agenda. While you may have, you know, areas in, you know, suburban New York where, you know, they may be looking for somebody who's socially liberal, but a little more conservative, um, a a little more conservative um, economically. So it's a mix. And, you know, it's kind of hard because you can't really stereotype people uh, because what is considered a moderate in southwestern Pennsylvania may not be uh, considered a moderate, you know, outside of Portland, Oregon or, or Seattle, Washington. So I guess my question is, do we then not have, like, a national platform or not ask our candidates to adopt a national platform? Hello? Um, I think you can, and what you have to do is find issues where, you know, everybody is in agreement. Um, um and, um, you know, the, the bottom line is it, it's very doable. And, and quite frankly, I think a lot of it is on the economic stuff. Uh, but, look, you know, we've had national party platforms in the past, uh, but we've had, uh, you know, conservative Democrats, moderate Democrats serving in the House, you know, the, the blue dogs. Um, so I, I think it's very doable to have a national platform while allowing candidates – to, 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 you know, at, you know, one in the mold of their districts. Right. I, I, no, I don't just, I, I understand what you're saying and I don't disagree with you. It's, I just think that when it comes down to legislate, legislating, it gets a little tricky. Like, do sure, you, it does. Are, are, um, and do we, um, do we give them a pass on certain, um, you know, I mean, I think we can. I mean, I think if we have, if we control the house, then if we're passing something that they think, if we're trying to pass something that they think their district is not, is going to be opposed to, if we have the vote, then they can vote against. If we have enough votes, then they can vote against it and, and maintain their sure. strength. Sure, and, and that's been done in the past. And I, it I know has from been done in the past. For, yeah. for members so, of Congress, I mean, where. They know who they need for their 218, and once the leadership has their 218, those who may be in tougher districts uh, politically, uh, you know, they, they won't get a pass on, on those. And, and, and the thing is, I think we as Democrats sometimes – and look, the Republicans do the same thing. They, they try and apply purity tests to people, and the thing is that you know, sometimes having a purity test on certain issues uh, – you know, will lead to, you know, Republicans winning seats that Democrats possibly could have been competitive in. And, you know, the question is, do you want somebody who's with you 80, 85% of the time, or do you want somebody in that office that's at a zero Against you, right? in terms of? Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I, th- I, I don't disagree with you. I just think that um, I think there are some things that we have to be pretty strident about and, um, Oh, there's no doubt. There are core values. I mean, look, I look at things like, you know, equal rights, um, you know, whether it's LGBT or or women, uh, you know, issues like that, I think, are at the core of uh, the the Democratic Party. And, you know, but there 
are, are certain issues where, you know, you know, people are pretty divided, even within our party. For, you know, was it, uh, um, uh, who was it that said, I, I don't belong to an organized political party. I'm yeah. a Democrat. <laughs> uh, and look, uh, uh, um, I mean, look, you see the difference just in di- regionally. Um, for instance, like here in, in Western Pennsylvania and, you know, what people call the Rust Belt, Democrats, you know, and Republicans tend to be very anti-trade. Whereas you go to Silicon Valley, you know, which are some very progressive areas, you know, Portland, Seattle, where, you know, those areas have benefited uh, greatly from trade. So they support trade, free trade deals. So, you know, it, 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 it's, it, it's one thing you have to navigate. It's always one of the trickiest things, you know, when a political party's in power. But I think the best way to, you know, overcome some of these obstacles and, and is to elect as many Democrats as possible. And the way you do that is candidates of all stripes, in, in, especially in these tougher districts. Yeah, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I just sometimes worry that we're um, – and I'm not saying this is necessarily the case. I just – you know, it's a slippery slope. At what point do you say, okay, well, you have to support this or you can't – we can't really support you as a Democrat. You know, I mean, I'm not – I don't know what – I don't know where that is, but, but sure. at some point you're like, it, okay, well, they're going to – they're not really – are they really order, a Democrat? Pardon? Yeah, I, I said a lot of times it's in the eye, uh, eye of the beholder. Uh, but the, the, yeah. thing, the, the, the thing is, for instance, uh, you know, Connor Lamb here in Pennsylvania has taken a lot of heat um, because he said that he doesn't believe we need more gun laws, uh, you know, or, or, or gun bans or anything like that. And a lot of progressives are very upset. Um, you know, but, I, you know, I actually live in that congressional district and, you know, they – some of the largest events, political events you will ever go to in the state of Pennsylvania are NRA or other gun group uh, events. And there are a lot of Democrats that are gun owners and, and NRA members. And, you know, they don't support uh, banning firearms. So the question is, and look, everybody's free to make up their own mind, but is it more important to have Connor Lamb, the Democrat, who's a little more pragmatic on these issues, than Rick Saccone, who went after Chuck E. Cheese because they didn't allow people to bring firearms there. You know, so there are <laughs> major differences. Yeah, well, I think I, I think guns are, you know, of course, a really um, topical issue right now. So it'll be interesting to see, and as as we as we get further away from this late, this uh, Parkland shooting, how we are all thinking about guns as we move into the 2018, um, you know, heat of the elections. And if those kids keep their voices up and there's continues to be this ongoing discussion, it's going to be interesting to see if it has an impact on um, the elections. I'm going to pass it on to Tim now because oh, go ahead. Sure. I'm sorry. Oh, no, Tim? I was just going to comment. on. Oh, good. No, go ahead. You can finish your no, comment. I just wanted to comment on the gun issue. It's going to be very, as you were saying, it's going to be very interesting watching it move forward. Uh, some polling has recently come out, and support for uh, gun control measures has jumped considerably 
even since right after the uh, Las Vegas shooting. Yeah, we so talked about it, that before it, it, you came on. Yeah, that, yeah, that so polling the question is, is really does it have interesting. Power? Exactly. That's exactly what we said before you came on the show. Go ahead, Tim. Good evening, Mike. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Yeah, I'm I'm always glad to talk to a famous person. By that I mean a guest <laughs> that has actually visited Chattooga County. So just just <laughs> wanted to to throw that out there. Okay, we're talking about District 18. Now, we we know how that job happened to open up. So right now, who is more of an issue in District 18, Tim Murphy or Donald Trump? I would say right now both seem to be non-factors in this race. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Connor Lamb has taken an interesting tact where he's just not talking about the president. You know, he's mm-hmm. trying to keep the – because Donald Trump did so well, he's trying to keep the race focused on him and Rick Saccone, and I think he's done a very good job of that so far, which is, you know, why the race is so close. Um, you know, so Tim Murphy, uh, it's amazing. He left office, and nobody's talking about him either. Um, huh. But the the amazing thing in this race, because – Tim Murphy was a unique Republican in that he always enjoyed support from organized labor. He was a very mm-hmm. pro-union. Uh, I mean, he wasn't a perfect vote for labor, but you know, you know, just generally speaking, he was a pro-labor Republican where Rick Saccone is not. And quite frankly, it's the one thing that I don't know if it's if most people have focused on. I believe organized labor in this district is going to be the difference. There are roughly 80,000 union members in this district. Um, it's one of the most heavily unionized uh, congressional districts in America. And, you know, the the two unions that are the largest are the United Steelworkers and uh, the service employees, which also happen to be two of the, union, two of the unions that uh, are some of the best in terms of uh, get out the vote and grassroots organizing uh, within political campaigns. And I think that that's a big, big advantage for Connor Lamb uh, going into this special election. Well, then you, you allow me to segue right into my next question about this. Is Connor Lamb simply a superior candidate to Rick Saccone? Is that why this race is so close? Look, I think that's definitely a major reason. Um, the Republicans, three three Republicans sought the Republican nomination, and quite frankly, the Republican Party did to the Democrats the biggest favor they could by nominating Rick Saccone. He, he's a poor candidate, um, has never – not able to raise much money, um, just not very sophisticated in the type of campaigns he runs. And Connor Lamb, you know, he's got a great profile, a Marine um, – a Marine veteran and uh, a, a federal, former federal prosecutor, uh, guys right out of central casting. But he's also, you know, for somebody who's never run for office and having seen him on the stump, he is, you know, very good on the stump. has, has a ton of charisma, knows how to work a crowd, but and, and to get a room excited. So, um, you know, it, that is definitely a major factor. He he is turned out to be a very very good candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, 
Another huge story, of course, that's been coming out of Pennsylvania is achieved earthquake status politically. It is, of course, the redrawing of your congressional district lines. Uh, There is, of course, an aggressive challenge in the courts underway by the GOP to the new CD lines. What is the status of that? What sort of chance does it have of being overturned, say, at the Supreme Court level? Sure. Uh, the state, When the state Supreme Court threw out the, the old congressional maps, they did so under basically saying it was a violation of the state constitution, which is why initially when it was thrown out, the Republicans appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court and the Supreme Court refused to hear the case. Um, Again, you know, the, the legislature failed to draw uh, uh, pass any maps um, by the deadline imposed by the court, so the court drew the maps themselves. The Republicans are saying that violates the U.S. Constitution because it's their rule, role to, to draw it. Most legal experts, and I've seen uh, here in the locally both Republican and Democratic legal experts, all feel that the Republican uh, legal efforts are probably going to fail, Um, that it doesn't have any merit because all of this is done under the auspices of the state constitution, and there's no violation. If there's no violation at the federal level of the constitution, uh, the the courts are powerless to stop this. So I think what's going to happen is start in May when we have our primary in November, I think, I, I would say the odds are very strong that um, we're going to be uh, ha- having campaigns under the new maps, and I'm predicting that the Democrats will pick up anywhere between three and five seats this November here in Pennsylvania. Wow. Well, um, I want to get a little more specific about that. Let's say that happens. Over in yes. the sixth district, there's a fellow that I really – don't like very much by the name of Brian <laughs> Costello. Um, yes. Now, now he had a very swingy district. Um, I think it might have been a district Trump lost by like a point or something like that. But under the new map, he would face rather long odds of keeping his seat. Now, there seems to be some talk that he might actually do something as desperate as choose to run in an adjoining district over a hundred miles from where he lives, but it would be an open district. Do you know what his status is and, and, and if that is true? I, I have read that he is considering that. I don't know if he'll ultimately do that. And that, that'll be a very difficult feat to pull off. Um, it just shows how desperate he is to, Remain in power. Uh, um, look, this is, you know, the, the, the Costello district, you know, it becomes Democratic, you know, leaning. But it, it's not out. The thing I don't understand is that it's not out of the possibility for a Republican to run. It happens all the time in this country where, um, where, um, you know, where, where, where the where you know one candidate runs a strong campaign and wins in a district that tilts to the other party it happens all the time 
And mm-hmm. you know the mo- the mo- the most outrageous thing in addition to that that's happening is that we have state legislators, even our U.S. senator, talking about the possibility of impeaching our state Supreme Court justices who threw this map out. And uh, and I, and I think that is an issue that needs attention everywhere uh, from people everywhere because if you know Supreme Court justices start getting impeached because people don't like how they rule on issues, you know we, we will no longer be a democracy. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to ask you one final question. Uh, because you have happened to live in, in the type of area that I want to ask about, and that is a, an area of working class whites. There's no doubt that they helped mightily in Donald Trump's effort to score a huge upset victory in Pennsylvania in 2016. Is he presently losing support among those working class whites in Pennsylvania? And if he is, then why is that? He is. Um, and I think, he, he, you know, his numbers, the last poll I saw here in the 18th Congressional District, Trump was at 49 favorable, 47 unfavorable, which is better than he is nationally, but a lot worse than he was last, you know, in 2016. And I think the main reason for that is he campaigned as a populist, but he's governing as a typical Republican, you know, relying on trickle-down economics and tax cuts for the wealthy, um, you know, very uh, much a pro – taking a pro-business slant when it comes to regulations on things like safety and, uh, you know, safety in the workplace and, and environmental regulations. But – the other thing is one thing, you know, here we have a lot of coal in our in, in this congressional district out here in the southwest corner of Pennsylvania and you know you know, coal mines are still closing down. A coal mine just shut down uh last month and uh, about four hundred people lost their jobs. So um as I think reality is catching up with Donald Trump that he can't bring back coal jobs they can't bring back steel jobs. Um, you know, a lot of the voters here, not all of them, obviously, but a lot of them, uh, and it's obviously a significant number here in southwestern Pennsylvania who have soured on him. You know, they are going to be turning against him because they are now seeing oh, he's not kept most of his campaign promises, especially on ec- economic issues. Okay, thank you for that, sir. Go ahead, David. Yeah, I'll just ask you a question or two more, Mike. Uh, you mentioned that three to five seats under the new map you believe is possible. If the districts wasn't have changed, how many seats in Pennsylvania would have been um, possibilities to change, in your opinion? I, I would say at most three. You know, anywhere between one and three, depending on the. You know, the, 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 we, we prior to the redraw of the map. It looked like there were three races in play in suburban Philly and um, and possibly one in the Lehigh Valley, which is just north of Philly, about an hour north. Um, but now you've got the, the, the seat in the Lehigh Valley. You've got three seats in the Philadelphia suburbs, one seat in western Pennsylvania, and there are a couple seats that can be competitive 
one in central Pennsylvania uh, in Harrisburg and, um, you know, possibly even one in the northwest corner in Erie. And so you figure you're not going to win every, you know, potentially competitive race. But, you know, even on a mediocre night, the Democrats will pick up three to five, whereas on a good night, they would be lucky to pick up two. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, one more question, sort of related. I've noticed on political or politicsone.com, who keeps track of who's running with site links, there's a number of candidates they have listed as retiring. Um, and how many of those do you think were going to retire anyway? And how many more might we add with these new congressional maps? And these seem to be, in particular, Republican congressmen. Sure. Um, I Well, Charlie Dent had already announced that he was going to retire. He represents the district up in the Lehigh Valley. And then Pat Meehan about a month ago, I think it was about a month ago, uh, announced he was not going to run for re-election because he got caught up and it turned out his office had to pay out uh, thousands of dollars in a <laughs> taxpayer dollars in a sexual harassment uh, <laughs> case. Um so um, I don't know. I don't believe we'll see any new retirements um, moving forward. Um, the way we, um, people gain access to the ballot, get on the ballot, is they circulate petitions, and they have to get a thousand signatures. And the petition period for these new maps starts on Tuesday and runs for three weeks. Uh, you have three weeks to get a thousand signatures, and. You know, I, I believe if somebody was going to retire because of the, the new map, they would have announced it already. Okay. Well, this is going to be a state to watch, obviously, and including next month with the special congressional election of Connor Lamb and Rick Saccone. Yeah, it's going, to be, it's going to be an exciting year in Pennsylvania. Started off not looking like it was going to be that exciting of a year, but uh, – the last six months, things have been shaken up greatly. Yeah. Yes, and that's and that's the world, a uh, political world, under Donald Trump. Who would have ever thought that Alabama would have been the uh, center of the political universe with swing state politics? And it was back in December. So anything's possible these days. That, that, that's that's so true. That is so true. Most definitely. Well, Mike, thanks again for coming on the Kunzu Vine. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Yes. Uh, Mike Mick is really, uh, in many ways, a national um, Democratic strategist. Has worked all over the nation, but uh, is born and raised in Pennsylvania, and he obviously knows that area best. Uh, and it's somebody we're going to call on because I just see Pennsylvania as being a place that's going to continue to make news, not only the special, but so many of these races. And it's so funny. It's like New Jersey might have a few seats flipped. California, uh, Florida, Texas, and now Pennsylvania. No, it's like the Congress could switch, and it might be five states flipping multiple seats, and some other states don't flip a single one. Tim, you know, David, I, I, I was going to say that uh, Pennsylvania is a state where the polls will close at eight o'clock. Too, we will know kind of early how the night's going to go. If we see that we're picking up, say, oh, I don't know, four congressional seats in Pennsylvania early, well, that's one-sixth of the seats we need right there. 
Uh, and as we know, these landslides don't stop at state lines. Uh, that's the state. I think that's the main state to watch now in congressional elections on, on uh, election night, don't you? No, yes. And um, what's amazing about that state is we didn't even talk about their governor's election in any other statewide No. Because uh, we had too much to talk about, um, you know, what we did, uh, to be honest. Um, well, let's move over to another topic. And it, since it's the uh, last weekend of the Olympics, um, it, it seems like we've got to talk about it now or it's going to go away. But it really is indicative of a much larger political story. Um, it was found out that Russian military spies hacked into several hundred computers of the authorities of the Winter Olympic Games in 2018 in South Korea. Um, you know, they ha- they hacked into the computers, and I'm not sure why they wanted to hack into the uh, Olympic officials' computers, but the fact that they did it really says a lot. And we know that Russia and the Olympics lately have just not had a good history. They have cheated multiple times. Uh, they practically were thrown out of the last summer games for performance-enhancing drugs. And, and the reason I think this uh, crosses over to politics is if you're willing to cheat – at the Olympics, you're probably willing to cheat with another country's democracy. So to me, if you were talking to some you know, Trump supporter that just doesn't want to believe all this bad stuff about Donald Trump getting help from the Russians, you could enter in and talk about how they conduct themselves in the Olympics and probably get them to agree with you about the dirty Ruskies, and then you can switch it over and begin to talk about our democracy. Um, Catherine, do you kind of see the correlation here between how they handled 2016 in politics and how they handled 2018 in sports? Um, well, I think the reason for the uh, monkeying with the computers, I think they you know, pretty much said that they were mad that the Russian athletes were not permitted to you know, participate in, in the Olympics this year. So that's, that's the main reason, at least that's the assumption. But I do think that um, there is a correlation between, you know, just this ability to hack into things. I think what you what Trump uh, supporters would say is that they don't deny that Russia was involved in, you know, hacked into elections, but they don't think that Trump had anything to do with it. Yeah, but he just doesn't want to seem to get tough on them. Tim, what's your take on the latest Russian hacking? Well, um, I mean, this, the story described it as a classic uh, false flag operation. Um, apparently, they wanted to make it look like North Korea was the one that yeah. was doing it and not them. Uh, and, and if North Korea was blamed with it, of course, it would have escalated tensions and uh, North and South Korea wouldn't be talking like they are now, which would be um, something Russia would actually want. They want an isolated North Korea, North Korea that is uh, an ally of theirs. Um, and and another thing is it could go two ways with the United States. Uh, Either Trump and him could say, uh-huh, see there, North Korea, blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, or um, 
it, it could escalate those tensions uh, as I was talking about militarily, which would which would also not not be good for us uh, either. So uh, the the thing I keep wondering is when when is uh when is our government going to get really tough on them about this? It, it really looks bad that our head of state won't even say anything uh, uh, about the Russians. Uh, that's one reason, even if he were innocent of any charges, that, that he can't get a handle on this thing. Those people are, are, are not our friends. I mean, you know, the the... The head of state in that government is former KGB, and that's how he reacts as a cold warrior. Uh, he certainly looks at us as an adversary. We should we should treat him as what he is because that's exactly what he is, and it it just really looks bad to the whole world if we don't stand up to that bunch. Yeah, I think that's why our leadership ratings are so far down in the world because Russia's not just tried to target our elections. I mean, they targeted the French elections and others, and we're you know supposed to be a leader of the world that usually will stand up um, for democracy anywhere, and we're not standing up for our own democracy. Right. Because Donald Trump, uh, let's just be very kind, unique relationship with Russia. Um, <laughs> And That's it's, kind, just, it's right. just absurd. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, uh, although I think the more we learn from the Mueller investigation, um, that that term will get um, um, more salient and better defined. Um, well, let's kind of talk about the Russian – I mean the, the Russian – the uh, Republican brand and how it's been taking a hit. New CNN polls showed Donald Trump back down to 35 uh, percent. Just in general, the GOP seems to have had a bad say – Kind of two weeks, about since the uh, Mueller report, the, first, the the latest round of indictments came down, then the way they mishandled um, the shooting tragedies and probably some other things I've missed because you honestly just sometimes can't keep up. Um, but, Catherine, do you get the sense that the Republican brand was better off, say, a month, a month ago than it is now? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's been the – there's the Mueller, there's the shootings, there's a – number of um, sex-related scandals that have happened, you know, resignations and and accusations. So, yeah, I think they're, they're struggling, and it's getting harder to create distractions because there's only so many things you can distract to. And if every one of them, if every one of them is a problem for you, then you can't really – Create an, you have to create whole new ones out of whole cloth, and they're not just not quite that savvy, I don't think. Yes, T- Tim, what's your thoughts on you know the the way of the Republican brand as of late? Yeah, well, it's not a lot of people will say ah another CNN poll, but it wasn't just them. USA Today Suffolk poll uh, showed the same thing that that uh, he's sitting like at 38% with a 60% uh, disapproval, 58% disapproval in the, in the uh, CNN poll. Um, right, right now, interestingly enough, Trump only enjoys 80% approval among Republicans, and that is as low 
as his support among Republicans uh, has been uh, during during the length of his presidency. Uh, the the GOP had actually been gaining on the generic ballot a little bit, but it seems like they're backwards on their heels now because of the things that you mentioned, uh, the shooting. They they just really Congress hasn't handled that well at all. They've given the impression that people think that they're not going to do anything, um, and, and they they just can't seem to get uh, to get a handle on that. And the Mueller investigations it, it, it's gotten out of their hands now. There's I, I don't see any way they can stop that considering all these indictments and things and and the stuff that's coming down the pike and the certain knowledge now that the Russians were involved in this and that and the other with, with indictments of Russians. So, uh, yeah, the, the GOP right now is, is staggering. Yeah. Um, uh, now Donald Trump, he did defend himself. He said he's got a 93% approval rating from the CPAC straw poll. Um, I, sometimes I, I do wonder, does he really understand how politics works when he tweets out straw polls, Catherine? I don't think so. I was kind of baffled by that one. A, Tim, your thoughts? If he doesn't have a 95% approval rating in CPAC, then, you know, he needs to just yeah. pack his bags. Yeah, I mean, 7% yeah. at CPAC don't even like him. <laughs> Bad. Yeah, he, he he doesn't he doesn't yet to quote him on most of his uh, hashtags, and uh, but, <laughs> but he doesn't have Mona Sharon. You know, she she went to CPAC and she called him out to her credit. Um, well, thanks again to Mike Mikas and for night that's been the Cudsey Vine. Good night, Good night guys. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom?